Hi, I'm Adam Burton, the pastor at Central Baptist Church. Thank you for checking out this sermon. I pray that it encourages you and helps you to grow closer to Jesus. Well, as grateful as I am for you, please don't allow this message to keep you from connecting with a local church. If you're in our area, we would love for you to check us out at Central Baptist Church. God bless. Well, it's been said that good things don't last. Good things don't last. Do you believe that? You know, you go to the concert of your favorite band and and uh, they they come out and they're and they're everybody's cheering and then they go and maybe they even come out for an encore but there's always that one song that you wish that they would keep on playing or you go to your favorite steakhouse savoring every bite of that porterhouse only to find yourself hungry again the very next meal you know in 2000 and now, when the University of Kentucky won the NCAA, or sorry, 2012, when the UK won the uh, NCAA Men's Basketball Championship, only to find out the next year they lost in the first round of the NIT. You know, I think it's fair to say that good things don't always last. But is this true all of the time? Well, did you ever look at your kids when they were young and say, I just wish that you would stay that way forever. But no matter how much you wish it or will it, our kids will grow up. And when we look in the mirror, the same is true for us as well. Do you ever wonder what life would would be like if you could stay forever in in the prime of your life, be able to to conquer everything that you you committed to? Well, of course we would. Or maybe you look back and see how complicated your life is right now, and you wish that things were simpler as it was back when you were a kid. You know, you don't have to you don't have to worry about slaving away at a job only to. Wonder where did all of the fruit of that hard work go to when you learn to hate that five-letter word, bills. Did you know that uh, the kids' shopping toy store, the Toys R Us, it's, it's making a comeback, but sadly, several years ago, they, they filed bankruptcy. And they closed all of their stores. And, you know, I, I loved Toys R Us because Toys R Us was a place where what a kid could be a kid. I don't want to grow up. I'm a toy selector. They got a million toys and toys. They're us that I can play with. I don't want to grow up. I'm a toy just They got the best for so much as you really flip your lid. From bike to train to video games. It's the biggest toy Now, I don't know who these children are, but uh, I guarantee you that every single one of them in there has grown up, and none of us are shopping at Toys R Us anymore. There may though be no better example of of our desire for things to never end than in the Disney classic Peter Pan. Uh, actually, I love how the story plays out in the, the 1991 film. Uh, of Hook 
with Dustin Hoffman playing Captain Hook and Robin Williams playing Peter Pan. Or at his adult persona in the film, Peter Banning, an and overworked attorney who despises everything about being a kid. Peter Pan says, I won't grow up. I won't grow up. It, except Peter did grow up, and his lost boys could not fathom how the great Peter Pan turned into a pudgy old guy that hated kids. Well, this morning... We know that good things do come to an end. Good concerts come to an end. Good meals come to an end. Good holidays come to an end. Good people even come to an end. But sometimes good things become better things for us. But also the opposite is true as well. Throughout human history, mankind has looked for better days. I can't ever recall anyone saying, you know what, man, I hope life never gets any better than it is right now. We may enjoy today, but we hope that tomorrow is better. Or we may not like the place that we're in right now, and we're nostalgic about the better days of the past. Now, it's almost kind of like wandering around in, in a forest or in a, uh, without a map or a, a compass. You know that life is better on the other side of those trees, but the forest is so dense that, that you don't know how to get out of it. Well, this figurative wilderness is where most of mankind has found itself throughout human history. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 40. Isaiah, uh, chapter 40. God's people, the Israelites, have spent much of their existence unable to enjoy the land that God had promised them. See, whenever things got good for the Israelites, they, they ended up becoming proud and turning their back on God. You know, the Israelites were good at complaining taking God for granted. They, they complained to God when God delivered them from slavery in Egypt and they didn't trust Him to provide when God promised them to do so. By the time that we get to Isaiah chapter 40 and around 8th century B.C., God's chosen people have lost the kingdom. It was divided in two. They, they found the promised land and they find themselves in exile once again. Now under the brutal Babylonian empire. And just like in the Exodus, the Israelites are once again wandering in the wilderness. But God didn't leave them alone. God was always with them. And, and for their good, he sent prophets, his spokespeople, to, to come and, and to call his people back to repentance, to call them to repentance, to turn back to them to trust in Him and to follow Him. We see that God speaks these words through the prophet in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, when He says, For thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, and quietness and trust shall be your strength. But look here, He says, But you were unwilling. You see, God gave the Israelites, the opportunity to turn back. But they just 
wouldn't do it. So God pronounces judgment on his people. See, one thing that we must never forget is that God always keeps his promises. He will do what he says that he will do. You know, in the movie Hook, Peter Banning would say, my word is my bond. He said it time and time again, whether it was in his business dealings or sadly with his own kids. And and the problem is, is that when he said it, nobody believed it. And it finally hits Peter when he misses his son's baseball game and and he makes another promise. My word is my bond, only to have his own son mock him because he knows he's lying to him. You see, God judges all of those who turn away from him. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, he says, But your iniquities, our sin has made a separation between us and God, and, and our sins have hidden his face from us so that he does not hear us. And we know that the penalty for that sin is death in hell. But God also loves his people so dearly that he has always provided a remnant, a a, a portion of his people that would remain. And so we get to Isaiah chapter 40 here where the prophet now goes from pronouncing words of judgment to to the people of God, now to words of, of comfort to this remnant. So read with me here, Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah declares, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand a double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Would you pray with me? Oh, dear Father, God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as, that as we look at your everlasting love, that your everlasting kingdom and you as the everlasting God, God, that we would cling to these words of life when everything else will fade away. God, I pray that you would speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would call us to repentance and that we may live every day for you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, it's not trusted in you as your Savior and Lord, Lord, that today would be the day, God, that you would call them to salvation. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When this message of the everlasting Lord, we see the first thing in these verses that God is mighty. God is mighty. 
See, life doesn't really get much more hopeless for God's people than, than where they found themselves in at the time of Isaiah chapter 40. They're in this desert or this wilderness. They had no place to call home. And then in verse 4, we, we see that they are in a, a, a deep valley. We see that the mountain, the, the mountain is too hard for them to climb. And, and look at what Isaiah tells him. He says, to trust in the Lord to provide for them. Every valley that they are in, he is the one that lifts it up. And every mountain or hill that is too high to climb, he is the one that makes it low. And, and he makes the uneven ground smooth to walk on. You know, if you were to put yourself in a, a dangerous situation, let me say you're you know, out pumping gas late at night at the gas station and, and a car pulls up there and, and men come out of the, the car and they're there to rob you. Thankfully, you're not the only one at the gas station pumping gas. There's two other bystanders who would come over to, my, to, to help you to age. And one of them looks kind of like me. And then the other one looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, ideally, both of these would equally fight for you on your behalf in order to save you. But, but let's make things interesting. You can only choose one person to fight for you. Which one are you going to choose? No. No, I hope you don't choose the one that looks like me. <laughs> Because a big, strong guy like Arnold Schwarzenegger is more likely to, to save you from the robbers and, you know, somebody that doesn't have near that strength. Well, there is no one that is mightier than God, right? Every valley is lifted up. Every mountain and hills made low. Only God has the power to lift valleys, to flatten mountains. Only he can smooth out this rough land. And yes, I believe that God can do it literally. But that's not what Isaiah is speaking about in these verses, is it? Are you in a rough patch in your life right now? Do you wish maybe that things would just kind of smooth out? Do you... Do you wish that you could be lifted from the deep valley that you're in? Know that you, you try to climb as hard as you can, but then you get up too high and then it's hard to breathe. The oxygen level is, is low and you just fall back down. Maybe you do it time and time again only to no avail. It's because only God can lift us out of the valleys. Only he can bring down what seems too hard for us to climb to, to make it attainable. Because trusting in anything or anyone else to save you from where you are, it's like choosing the wimpy kid to save you from the bullies at school. God is mighty. But secondly, we see that Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope. You see, the, the Israelites, they would eventually make it back to Jerusalem, their promised land. But, but even then, they're still living in the valley of, of life. 
Babylon has fallen, but another empire has emerged. Now the Jewish people served the Romans. Although they were back home, they still hoped for better days to come. Come to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3 that Jim read for us this morning. We see these words said, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. God never left his people. He was always with them. And the thing is, is God was never surprised by how they acted. He knew that they would rebel against him. He knew that they would not turn from their wicked ways. But he remained and he kept pleading, turn, turn, turn. He kept providing prophets to to declare to them what will happen if they don't listen, but also to give them the hope of what does will happen too if if they do follow. So even some 400 years between the closing of the prophets in the Old Testament to, the, to where we come to the birth of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, it's still one story. We come to a man named John, John the Baptist, who I don't believe he was a Southern Baptist at the time, but he is, he is a Baptist. And here he is. Speaking as one that has authority. Interesting about John the Baptist is he is the cousin of of Jesus. But that's not his role here in the beginning of the New Testament. For, For John himself is the last prophet. He is the one with which the prophet Isaiah and Uh, and uh, Micah speak of. He is the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. He tells them that they need to repent. They need to turn away from their sin, away from their serving false gods, away from them living like God does not exist. To turn and to follow him. John is an odd fellow. You know, he's not one that we would expect to be the spokesperson for God. To be honest, if he were here today, we'd probably run out of the room. Because he had spent time out in the wilderness. He had hair everywhere. He did not have good clothing. He ate a weird diet of locusts and honey. You know, I, I came across an, an article speaking of John the Baptist the, the other day. What I found interesting is this, this author said that John was different than any of the other religious people of the day. He didn't fit in. He looked different, smelled different, acted different. He said because he was 
not in the religion world. Although he was a rabbi, but in this unique role, he was set apart. He was different than the rest of the world. And because of this, even in spite of all of his peculiarities, he he had a following. He had his own disciples. But he had one message that he proclaimed. That is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look here in verses 11 and 12. John says, I baptize you with water for what? For repentance, but he is coming after me is mightier than than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and his He will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. See, John the Baptist had a way of using words that would kind of cut through all of the the religious ease of of the day. He says, look, it doesn't matter all the things that you do, how religious you are, how you follow all of the right rituals and everything. If you do not repent, and why is he to? Re- why are they to repent? Because the kingdom is at hand. If you're familiar with the the scene there, where John is baptizing at the Jordan River, his cousin comes, Jesus, and he says, "Look, I, you need to." To baptize me. And John said, Look, you're, I'm not worthy to, to even hold your sandals, and yet I need to be baptized by you. And But yet, Jesus is God. John submitted. And he baptized Jesus in that river Jordan. And when he did, the heavens opened up unlike anything. And a dove descended, and the voice of God audibly spoke, This is my son. It wasn't very long after that John the Baptist was executed. He lost his head, literally. And you might think the last prophet, what is to happen here? Well, Jesus himself picks up. For because God, the word made flesh, came to dwell among us, there was no need for any other prophets. And Jesus came and he started preaching. And do you know what he preached? The same message that John preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we see that Jesus, or that God is mighty, that Jesus is our only hope. But lastly, we also see that Jesus is the everlasting Lord. Later on in the book of Matthew, Jesus speaks of what the end will look like. Verse 29, it says this, says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. 
and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great joy. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds and one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learned its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. For truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as we're in the days of Noah, so will be coming the Son of Man. For as those in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know what, on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. So therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. It's a great warning that Jesus gives us to stay awake. Now, obviously, as we talked with the kids, sometimes you got to put the toys away, the games away, because you have to go to sleep. Jesus isn't meaning this literally. No, we are to be ready for his second coming, for not even he knows, for God is the one that will dictate when he comes and how he comes. And when he came the first time, Even people in his own hometown of Nazareth did not know that he was the Son of Man because God had chosen to hid his glory from them. But when he comes the second time, he will come. No one will doubt who Jesus is. They will know because the trumpets will be sounded and he will descend and he will come to judge as the everlasting Lord. And his kingdom will never end. And that gives us great hope. Because one, we know we can trust in Him and in His promises. Jesus' word is His bond. And His words will never pass away when everything else does. So what does it mean for us to be ready. What does that mean for us to be ready, to be awake? 
Well, the same message that was preached by the prophets in the Old Testament, by John the Baptist, by Jesus, and by the apostles is the exact same message. It's explicitly clear that we are to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, Baptists, we're, we're good at speaking of repentance, usually in an evangelistic uh, mindset of, you know what, you need to, 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 to repent of your sins and trust Jesus to be, be saved from your sin. And, and then a lot of times we just kind of lose track of repentance because of, you know, we've already been, been saved. But, but what about daily repentance? How often do we think about turning and following Christ? Oftentimes, I believe we, we kind of compare ourselves to others and we base the, on our need to repent on how, you know what, how we are compared to other people. If we're, you know, if we're doing better, if we're more righteous, if we're more like Jesus than they are, then hey, we're, we're, we're good. And then it's the other people that need to repent so that they can come to be more like us. But the standard is not your pastor. It's not Billy Graham. It's not the Pope. It's not anybody else. Our standard is Jesus. And He is God. And He is perfect. So what is it specifically that you need to repent of today? Who have you been angry with recently? Maybe not just, you know, knock out, drag out, punch them in the face kind of anger. Maybe it's just, you've been short with somebody. Maybe they irritate you. Friends, that's sin. We need to repent of that. What friends that you have or family members that you've neglected to give proper attention to? Because maybe you're like Peter Banning and are too busy with your work life or your hobbies and continuously saying, I'll get to it, I'll do it. My word is my bond, only to have people realize, here he goes again. Friends, that's sin. And we need to repent of it. And we're in the season of Christmas. I like to hear the kids talk about giving, and yes, we need to have that spirit of give. But sadly, Christmas time is probably one of the more uh, times where we see jealousy. Starts young. How many kids they go to school back and say, "Well, what did you get for Christmas? What did you get?" And then, oh well, I got. Oh well, I feel bad because I didn't get as much as you, and you're rubbing it in my face. And what's crazy is even we parents do it on. What gifts that we give others? It's like, well, I didn't give enough to give. And friends, jealousy is sin. And we need to repent of it. Anything less than complete surrender to God is sin. And look, the beauty of, of repentance is that it's something that we can do any time. We don't have to go into a confession booth. 
to be absolved by somebody. No, Jesus accomplished that for us. He is that mediator. He is the one that, that comes between us and God. And so when you get off that phone call or, you know what, just sitting in the parking lot after you've had a rough time of driving, say, God, shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I repent. Lord, I pray that you would help me through your spirit to do better. Sometimes repentance also means going to those that you have wronged, seeking forgiveness. We should do it in the little things, but also in the big things as well. Because our level of repentance is really dependent on our level of belief. Sometimes I think if we just picture that we just forget about it, that, that God will forget about it as well. If that we wash it under the rug, he'll just wash it under the rug. But God does not do that. Now, our level of repentance is our level of belief. In, in the book, or in the movie, in Hook, that, that scene toward Ian Peter, Dustin, or uh, uh, Robin Williams is, they're, they're at this big banquet and they're eating and he's hungry and he's ready to eat and he gets and he's sitting down and you see all of these plates, but there's no food on them. <laughs> and he's like, where's the food? And then the, the lost boy said, well, you've got to believe. You've got to believe. And so they start digging in and he just didn't understand. But, but it was the point at which he took that spoon or that fork from the plate and he flicked it at one of the lost boys. And I believe it was mashed potatoes. Hit him right in the head. And they had this big old food fight and the plates are bountiful with, with food, everything that they could they could eat. It's because the adult Peter Banning didn't believe. You see, he had to act on that belief. It's one thing to just think that I believe in our mind, but that's not belief until we, until we believe with our actions. We must live out our faith. Peter writes in, in his letter, he says, For all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. For the grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Jesus is the everlasting God and his kingdom will reign forever. God is mighty, and Jesus is our only hope. Do you believe? Do you believe enough to repent and to turn and to, and to follow Him? Are you willing to stay awake, to rid yourselves of things that, that get in the way between you and God, for we know that all good things come to an end. 
the grass withers. Flowers will fade. This world will fade away. Our best hobbies will become too old to do them. You know, what our taste buds might change, our health may fail us. But Jesus remains forever. He is the everlasting Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. To listen to other messages and to learn more about Central Baptist Church, visit our website at cbcmaysville.com.